Hi, everybody, and welcome to the special focus meeting of, of the 100 Pounders. It is Wednesday, the 18th of October, 2023. And today I am really delighted to um, introduce Kim G. Kim Hales from New Jersey. So I shall let the original Jersey girl tell you her experience, strength and hope. Take it away, Kim. Thank you so much, Rita. You're the only person I know that makes me feel like I talk slow. <laughs> Because Jersey people talk really fast, but nothing compared to you Irish girls. So thank you guys so much for the invite today. Um, my name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey Intergroup. Um, for, that's in the States, and it's right outside of Philadelphia. Um, there's five intergroups in New Jersey, so I'm from South Jersey Intergroup. Um, I've been in OA since 1994. Um, I've been abstinent and recovered since January 2011. So you'll see there's a big gap there. We're going to kind of talk about that. Um, my top weight, and for those of you not in these states, you can Google because I don't know how to convert. Um, but my top size was a size 24 where I was diagnosed morbidly obese. Couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without having to catch my breath. Um, I've also been bulimic and been the size I am now, which is a size 10, binging and purging and over-exercising. And my hips were so bad, I could barely walk up a flight of stairs without being in a lot of pain. Um, and I've also been underweight at a size two, where I lost my menstrual cycle, I was losing my hair, and I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs because I was so malnutritioned, I would get lightheaded. So I have done research in all areas um, of this disease. Um, I think what I, the way I want to put it is those first 17 years that I was in OA, um, I disrespected a 12-step program by treating it like a diet program with group support. I disrespected a 12-step program by treating it like a tools-only program. And I also, when I would say I'm working my program, what I realize now is what I was saying was I was working other people's opinions and slogans. And the consequence of that was 17 years of going in and out of the food, relapsing, having periods of relief. But the last 12 and a half years, when I became a student of the big book, when I was in a place where I couldn't get drunk and I couldn't get sober, I couldn't live with the food and I couldn't live without the food. What I did is I put the food down and I faced the solution. So, and, and I have had 12 years of contented abstinence. Whereas the first 17 years was one day at a time, white knuckling it, tomorrow I'm going to have a bagel, but not today. Tomorrow I'm going to have a bagel, but not today. It was so painful. So what I did was I put the food down and I would face the food and I would fight it with everything I had, all the tools, meetings, phone calls, sponsors, but I would get KO'd every time because the food always won. What I did 12 and a half years ago, I put the food down, I faced the solution. I still did the tools. I went to meetings, I made phone calls, I had literature, but it was based on seeking the solution versus trying to control the problem. The way that I describe it is it's very easy to do the tools and not do the steps. That's a painful way to live. I think it's impossible to do the steps and not do the tools because they're going to support us, but it's the steps that are going to change us. Um, and the big book really saved my life. So that's that's where I come from. So that's the way I'm going to talk today. Um, and I decided what I'm going to do is a lot of my old ideas about OA, about God, about spirituality, about the 12 steps is what was keeping me going back to the food over and over again. So I'm going to kind of go through the 12 steps as the big book says it and kind of compare it to those old ideas that I had that kept me going back to the food over and over again. Um, in fact, Rita did say something in the beginning, which is I often talk about with step one is. 
in my meetings in my area, we would say, are there any other compulsive overeaters here besides myself? And we would all raise our hands. And what I realize now is what I was raising my hand to was I'm fat and I don't want to be fat anymore, or I'm no longer fat and I'm terrified of getting fat again. And I thought that was step one. The big book actually has four chapters. I'm an accountant, so I love numbers. So if you look at the, the steps in the big book, it's the doctor's opinion through working with others. That's 112 pages. The big book step one chapters are doctor's opinion, Bill's story, there's a solution more about alcoholism. That's 53 pages. So literally almost half the step work is step one. Yet for many years, I said, yeah, 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 of course it's step one. I wouldn't be in OA if I didn't understand that I'm fat. But since I didn't understand what I suffered from, the steps kind of seem optional. I can just do this by just, you know, sharing it or wearing it, you know, avoiding my triggers, avoiding people, places and things. I didn't understand what I suffered from. So what the big book taught me is in the doctor's opinion that the people who need a 12-step program, like personally, I drank for 10 years alcoholically, but big enough, um, something happened in my life that scared the crap out of me and I've never drank again. I'm not an alcoholic. Just being overweight doesn't make you a compulsive overeater. So what does it mean to be a true compulsive overeater? The doctor's opinion describes it as having two qualities. One is an allergy to the body and the other is the mental twist. Sandy B is one of my favorite AA speakers. And he simply says, I know I'm an alcoholic because I cannot drink safely and I cannot be sober contently. That's the simplest definition I ever heard of step one. So I learn about this allergy of the body that I am different from other people. That when I ingest certain foods, I get what's called a phenomenon of craving that my body demands more. It's that I take that first bite and it asks for the second bite. I take that second bite, it requires the third bite. I take that third bite and it demands that fourth bite. That phenomenon of craving intensifies and doesn't satisfy. And in a way, we're an umbrella fellowship, right? That phenomenon of craving is what unites us, but what What's, what stirs it in me may not stir it in you. We have a lot of overlap. We have to do some investigation. I have to know what I need to abstain from because if I ingest that food, it's a biological function that my body will require more. And the only way that I cannot have that, that phenomenon of craving happen is to not to ingest that food. For years, I thought the problem was I shouldn't have that third slice of pizza. If I can stop having that third slice of pizza and I can keep the weight off, which is the origin of my bulimia, then I'm okay. And what this is telling me is I have this allergy of the body that doesn't matter how many, you know, if I have one or a thousand, the phenomenon of craving is kicked off, which means I can never, ever, 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 ever have those foods again. I had to fully concede that. And But if that is my only problem, then send me to a rehab. They'll separate me out from 28 days. I can be told that, you know, you're free from that allergy. Don't do that again and you will be okay. I have to tell you, I abstained from caffeine, but it's not a part of my abstinence because I discovered quite a few years ago that when I have caffeine and I don't have it for a couple of days, I get migraines. I don't like migraines. So I've never had caffeine again. I have no mental twist when it comes to caffeine. And I have no phenomenon of craving because I would have it because it was free at work. So the real problem I have is once I get free of these substances, I have a mind that tells me, it's been a good day, Kim. You need to celebrate. 
it's been a bad day. You need some relief. You just want to get the edge off. You're not going to binge this time. You're making way too big a deal out of this. You've been abstinent for three years, for three months, for three days, for 30 minutes. And that's the reason I need to come to Overeaters Anonymous. The doctor's opinion describes the allergy to the body and the mental twist, which makes me different from people who can be successful in, um, in diet programs because diets do work. You know, you decrease your calories, you increase your exercise, you're going to lose weight. Why is it that I can't do that? Because I have this, this disease. Bill's story talks about what does that mean to have that disease? Do I think like Bill thought? Do I feel like Bill felt? Do I drink, eat like Bill drank? One of my favorite lines is alcohol is my master. And what I started to see was food was my master. If I wasn't abstinent, the way I went to work was to get to all those fast food restaurants. If I was abstinent, I had to take a totally different route because I had to avoid all those restaurants. If I was in the food, social situations were all about what they were serving. I got to tell you the 90s, I can't tell you if you mention a wedding who was in the bridal party, but I can sure you tell you what the, what's on that buffet. But if I'm abstinent, then I have to avoid these social situations because I can't be around them. Why? Again, my program was avoid people, places, and things. Halt. Don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, tired, which is really a great game plan, except for the fact that I eat when I'm not hungry. I eat when I'm in a good mood. I eat in social situations and I eat on a good night's sleep. I was told to avoid my triggers. Here's the problem. I only have one trigger. It's being awake. And if I'm awake and I'm not being treated by the 12 steps, I'm going to eat. And then and there's a solution. They talk about the people who don't need to come to OA, the moderate eaters, the heavy eaters, the people that can be successful with these diet programs, the people who were in the in the all-you-can-eat buffets like me, that were binging like me as we were miserating over being fat or whatever our problem is, and they get the diagnosis of diabetes and boom, they change their whole life. And I'm like, why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? Because I have a different problem. I have an allergy to the body and mental twist. And then putting that nail in that coffin is the, is the, is the uh, more about alcoholism. Specifically, I love Jim versus Fred. Jim is the guy that has a really crappy day. He drinks. Fred is the guy that has a great day, not a cloud on the horizon. He drinks. So I don't know. I mean, I only see a certain amount of people here, but if you just want to raise your hand, how many have eaten when you're broken up with somebody? How many have eaten when the relationship was going well? How many have eaten when you got fired from a job? How many have eaten when you got a promotion? No money in the bank, lots of money in the bank. That's what it means that we're screwed. I can't make my life look a certain way where I'm not going to eat. I thought step one was don't eat no matter what, no matter what, don't eat. And I would say that in a meeting today, I choose not to eat. And what I learned through these chapters is step one is I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat unless I have a spiritual awakening. And when I went through those chapters, suddenly the steps became absolutely necessary. So when I get to that point where I understand that I'm powerless, that I'm going to eat regardless of what's going on, I'm springboarded to step two. And step two, I got to tell you, we agnostics, I'm a Catholic school kid, 12 years of Catholic schools. I don't need this to be learned about. I believe in God. And what I realize is my beliefs in God were exactly my problem. Again, Sandy Beach, I love the way he described this. I'm a Catholic school kid. He's a Catholic school kid. Is he said he would go into church and he'd sit in the same pew as his sister or they'd look up at that crucifix. 
And the sister would look up at that crucifix and say, look what Jesus did for me. He died for my sins. And I would look up at that crucifix and I would say, if that's what God did to his only son, what the hell is he going to do to me? So I had to see that it was my interpretation of this stuff. Step two, honestly, isn't about God. Step two was in that chapter so beautiful is, do I have a need for God? They go over these bedevilments in and of myself. I'm going to eat. I need a power greater than myself. What are my old ideas about God, about the 12 steps, about Overeaters Anonymous, about spirituality? That's how I revisit step two, even in, in as a recovered woman. I, I had a crazy 24 hours. I am now the caretaker for my parents. What are my old ideas about them being the parents and me being the kid? I got to look at those old ideas. And once I know that I am powerless in step one and I need a power in step two, I'm propelled to step three. Again, my old idea about step three, turn my life and my will over to power, you know, that made that decision. It was Santa Claus. I would just give God this list of things he would like him to do today and in what order and how it should happen. And when I didn't get what I wanted, I would quote unquote, take my will back. And I, in my area, we used to call it the OA wall steps, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And we would never go forward. And the consequences of that for me was relapse after relapse after relapse. In the big book, what is step three? Step three is, I call it, you know, almost the Dr. Phil step. How's it working for you? We're confronted with what does life look like when I'm in charge? And what I found is I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, that selfish and self-centered is the root of my trouble, that I am under the delusion I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of my life if only I manage well. And I see I suck as a manager and I make a decision to learn a new way of life. I can't turn anything over now. It's like the fact that, you know, I go to, I go to a, a job fair and I find out, oh, I want to be a nurse. Just because I make the decision to be a nurse, I don't get to be a nurse. I have to go to school to be a nurse. What is that school? What is that skill set? It's four through nine. And when I learn that skill set of four through nine, I start to implement it on a daily basis in 10 and 11. So I don't actually turn anything over until I get to 10 and 11. So again, my old idea, what is that skill set? Step four. Step four to me was an autobiography. It talks about that the one object in the big book of, of, the, uh, of the fourth step is to get rid of them, these things promptly and without regret, these blockages. My one object was to make my sponsor hate these people as much as I did, to prove I was the victim. I reinforced my resentments. I reinforced my fears. And that's why I never got relief. I treated it like a diary. In the big book, there's three different, there's three different um, uh, inventories, resentments, fears, and sex conduct, which I just turn into general relationships once I get into 10 and 11. These are the things that are blocking me from getting access to that power that I acknowledge I need in step two. I complicated it. I would um, analyze it. I, wouldn't, I, I just need to look for those blockages. And there's clear cut directions how I do that. And then I go to step five. And this was another you know, misconception. I thought I did inventories because I wrote a lot. It's an inventory process. If we have not done four through nine, we have not done the inventory. I was in OA for 17 years. I had never done a full inventory. Did a lot of journaling, did a lot of bitching to my sponsor, 
but I never went through the process of four through nine. So in step five, I'm not there to prove to that person what a victim I am. I'm not there to prove my resentments. I'm trying to find those patterns in my life. And what I see specifically is that fourth column, it doesn't matter whether it's my mom, my neighbor, or my boss. Those defects are glaring and it's how I act in life. I just act, ask different people on stage. And my sponsor helps me to identify that. Again, in the big book, four, five, six, seven, eight is all done in one day. My old delusion when I would look at those steps on the wall is I thought that each step took equal amount of time. So I would spend a month in step six, a month in step seven, all in one day. I start to see these patterns. Step six is I find these things are objectionable. I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm living in 1985 and it's 2023. I don't want these people to have power over me anymore. I don't want this anger. I don't want this fear. I don't want this resentment anymore. And in step seven, I'm asking God to remove that that I see that these defects, I love the simplicity of the big book, selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened. Now I can put fancy words on it. I'm passive aggressive. I have abandonment issues. I can put a lot of fancy words on it, but it's basically those four defects in different combinations. And what I see is in and of myself, I can't do anything about it. I've tried. I tried for 50 years to try to remove this stuff. I can practice the opposite. I could, I'm not an idiot. If I'm dishonest, I know I need to be honest. I don't have the power to do that on my own. So my personal feeling is the reason that it's so, it's just two paragraphs in the big book is because I don't do anything. I'm asking God to remove it. And one of the things I heard, which I, was to me was so beautiful, was a speaker said that six and seven becomes your step one for life. Because I haven't had a first bite in over 12 and a half years. What am I powerless over today? My selfishness, my dishonesty, my resentment, and my fear. That's why I have to lean in 10 and 11 every day. And when I start to see those defects, I suddenly want to make amends. I put these people on the list. Doesn't mean everyone I put on the list is going to need an amends, but I need to be willing to put them on the list. And in step nine, we start to make those amends. One of the things I was told to do was to look up um, definitions in the in Webster's Dictionary, because I thought step nine was just making an apology. I have no problem apologizing. I will apologize to a chair if I knock into it. And an apology is a defense, excuse, or justification for behavior. That's what I did. I'm here to make an amends. The definition of that is a reparation or compensation for loss, damage, or injury. That's a totally different deal. You know, we often talk about that, you know, that at least for me, I heard it was, uh, it's about forgiveness. I got to repair these relationships. I got to make people forgive me. The big book doesn't talk about that. The big book talks about, to me, freedom. I don't want these people ruling over. Whether they accept my amends is totally irrelevant. That one of the things I love, I still live in the same county I grew up in, in New Jersey. I can walk anywhere in Burlington County, New Jersey, and I'm not afraid of who I'm going to run into because I am clean on my amends. And when I start to do that, and I'll just tell you another funny thing. So we have those beautiful promises. Then when I came in, the promises were read at every meeting, the promises. I never knew they were related to step nine. And when I came in, what I asked, what do I do? What's the solution? I was told 90 meetings in 90 days. 
Now I mentioned I was an accountant, right? So I love numbers. I thought that, okay, so those promises come true at day 45. Because if these are the promises and they are they are attained when you're halfway through and the solution is a 90-90 that I'm gonna feel these at day 45. And again, I felt like a loser because I'm getting the day 45 and all I wanna do is eat or I've already eaten because I don't understand that these promises are linked to my step work. And as I start to make these amends, I start living in 10 and 11. I have to tell you, I've never met anyone that I have seen actively engaged in 10 and 11 that has picked up, not once. What I do see a lot is people who, <coughs> who back away from 10 and 11 and 12 and will pick up. And often, oh, sorry, let me take a drink. I will ask someone, you know, I don't ask them what they did that day. I ask them what they were doing two or three weeks before. So living in 10, 11, and 12. And I asked them, well, what does that look like? I got to tell you, a lot of the time, they can't even describe it, let alone doing it. That's my truth, too. <laughs> I thought, thought step 10 was at night. Step 10 is the, is the walking around step. When these things crop up, when these defects come up, because I'm going to eat, when these default defects come up, I'm doing a four through nine in real time. In four to nine, I had I had the luxury to look back in 1985 and, and look at my high school stuff. But what happens when the jerk's right in front of me? I got to tell you, before this meeting, I had to learn. I am an accountant. I had to learn how to give my dad an IV antibiotic because he came home from the hospital last night. I'm scared to death. Did a 10 step right there because I need to be figuring, you know, available for my father so I can do, so he can, he can come home and I can give him this IV antibiotic, right? So it's the right now step. And the reason I love step 10 is because I hate step nine and I am willing to run to step 10 because I don't want to make another damn amends. And for me personally, this is how it works. I start making these amends and I start doing these tens and running to them. My step nine start going down. I start digging to 11 which we'll talk about next, my step 10 stopped going down because I'm not getting disturbed as much. But I unravel the same exact way. If I let up on my step 11, boom, those 10 steps start popping up. I don't do those 10 steps, damn it, I have to start doing amends. And I don't want to do that. So I'm leaning into this program. So the step 10 is the walking around step. Then in step 11, it says prayer and meditation. Hey man, I pulled out my Bible. I'm a Catholic, I'm going to church. I'm reading these books that people are telling me to read. I'm reading my daily reader. That's great. That's prayer and meditation, but that is not step 11. Step 11 is three specific practices. It's four through nine, doing that three times a day. At night, I constructively review my day. I used to destructively re review my day. I would write all the crap that I did and beat myself up. It's looking at four through nine for the last 24 hours. Let me look at those patterns the same way I did in step five. When I saw that these patterns were, my resentments were all patterns, my fears were all patterns. I'm seeing those patterns. And the big difference I see is two questions. Is It's asking, um, I totally went black, hold on. Uh, I don't want to get the wording wrong. What could I have done better? And what corrective measures should be taken? Because if I don't change, by asking God into it, I'm going to have the same damn tense test the rest of my life. And a mistake I made is I left those fourth step prayers in the fourth step. 
I better be saying that sick man prayer. I better be saying that fear prayer. I better be saying these relationship prayers. So what I do is I have ideals, right? I have an ideal of who I want to be as a daughter. It's up here. That's what I could have done better. Here's my current behavior down here. What corrective measures should be taken? How can I move towards that ideal? And those ideal change. Again, my father, I'll tell you, coming out of the pandemic, I'm like, what's going on with my dad? He's not walking too good. Three years later, my dad is bedbound with Parkinson's and lives next door to me. My ideal with my dad living a half hour away from me, being independent is a totally different ideal than him living next door with advanced Parkinson's, right? I need to be asking what, what corrective measures should be taken. That in the morning, to me, it's a proactive, it's a proactive four through nine. I know it's going to trip me up. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to be dishonest. I'm going to be self-seeking. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, you know, resentful. These are the things that happen to me. I know sometimes people think, oh, you're recovered. You don't have that stuff going on. Bullshit. The thing is, the difference being recovered is I have a place to go with them. Not that I don't feel fearful. I have a place to go with fear so I don't have to stay there. I get resentful, but I have a place to go with that so I don't have to stay there. Because number one, I want to be peaceful. But number two, I'm not, I will pick up if I, if I don't deal with this stuff. So in the morning, I'm asking to be separated from those things. I'm looking for the 24 hours ahead, asking how I can do it. I plan how I can do these pauses in there. And then the third part is the pauses throughout the day. How can I take my spiritual temperature? Am I tapped in? And again, sometimes for me personally, I can't tell the difference between a 10 and a, and a pause 11. They become kind of the same as I, as I go through this practice. And then step 12, two parts, carrying the message and practicing these principles in all my affairs. So all my affairs, I don't have the luxury to be nice to you all in a meeting and treat people like crap going out. I have to be consistent in my behavior and consistent with my step work in and outside the rooms. And I have to carry this message. People will often tell me why I can't, I'm, I'm not good enough. I can't be sponsored. I'm afraid to sponsor. I would be afraid not to sponsor. Because how do I keep attached to my step one by working step 12? How do I remember my allergy of the body and then I can never have those foods again by teaching someone their allergy? How do I know that I have this mental twist? Because I'm teaching people the mental twist. So I'm in this work teaching other people, how can I be useful? So by living in 10, 11, and 12, I'm actually living all 12 steps every day, right? Because four through nine is 10 and 11. And most of the teaching you're going to do in step 12 is steps one, two, and three. So I'm going to end with my favorite promise on page 100. It says, follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. So I used to think my peace of mind was based on my circumstances, so I would try to arrange life to suit myself. This is telling me that I don't need to do that anymore. I can find peace. If you said to me, Kim, how are you doing today? I would tell you that I feel peaceful and grounded. But if I told you what was going on in my life, it's crazy. Again, my life from the pandemic is unbelievable. You know, I am a single woman. I've never been married. I don't have children. And now I am power of attorney for my mother who has dementia, my father who has advanced Parkinson's. And I had to take over for my brother who's 50 years old, learning disabled and an out of control diabetic, non-compliant diabetic, right? They now live next door to me. I have, I now work from home and have a new job. It's scary as anything. It's stuff that's, that's going on. 
I love dogs. I lost both my dogs in the beginning of 2020, 2022, got a new dog. And I decided last year through doing step tens, I'm now fostering. And I am amazed you haven't met him yet. And he hasn't come in and jumped on my lap and to annoy me, but I'm being useful outside of the rooms and inside of the rooms. So I am peaceful. I am grounded and my life is insane. And what I tell people is the best gift I can give my father, my mother, my brother, and anyone I happen to run into today is to put my recovery above everything else. Because it's only because of my recovery that I'm able to be available to other people. So yes, I am so grateful that I've been the same size now for the last 10 years, probably. That's, That's wonderful. But the bigger thing is I have a life beyond my wildest dream, as our founder says. I have the ability to be useful. I have the ability to be peaceful. I have the ability to walk in this world with my head held high and be a woman of dignity of grace. And that is only because of these 12 steps that we all share. And with that, I pass. What a real message of depth and weight. Thank you so much. And I'm just going to read a a little portion out of our vision for you in the big book to support Kim's um, talk. It says, among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties for which for you will escape disaster together and you will commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. With that, we will stop the recording. Oh, what a